Hello and welcome to this episode of the Retail Is Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joey Morgan, joined as always by my co-host, Kylie Ross-Seibert. And today we are talking with Brian Salerno of Jersey's Jersey Cards and Comics. Uh, Brian, welcome and thank you for being on the show. Hey, thanks for inviting me. This is really exciting. Good, I'm glad. Well, let's get into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and your business? Uh, sure. All right. So my name is Brian Salerno, and I'm the owner of Jersey's Cards and Comics. We have three stores in the Hampton Roads area, as opposed to pretty decent uh, online availability, uh, online presence, that is. Okay. Uh, started, we're started in 1994 by my father. Uh, me and him, uh, sorry, him and I were collecting cards since 1989, and in 1992, we had such a collection that we decided to go try our, our chances in the flea market, see if we could do anything. And we got such a presence at the table that we moved to an inside stall. And after being there for about two years, in 1994, when he retired, he opened up the business. Now, his nickname, because he was from New Jersey, was Jersey. So he called it Jersey's Hideaway when we were inside the flea market. And when he opened up the first location, it was Jersey's Cards and Comics. And so what he wanted when he first started was just a place to hang out. He really just wanted to break even. And I went off to college, uh, worked for a couple other companies. He asked me to come back in 2001. And then about 2005, he, he could see that I was trying to really push and grow the business. So he turned it over to me at that time. And so since then, we've expanded from sports cards is where we started. Mm-hmm. But since then we've added comic books is a major thing, and especially uh, tabletop gaming, games like Magic, uh, games like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, but also tabletop gaming, uh, like Games Workshop, and other kind of major scale tabletop games, including board games. Brian, when you started out, um, was the aim, because I'm totally not familiar (laughs) with this, you said you started out with cards. Does that mean like you trade cards, or he was selling cards, or buying them? Like, what was... How does this work? Right. So, so in 1989, I got braces. And so my father was like, you know what? Let's make you feel better. So he went and bought me a box of 1989 score football cards. And I just played with them and loved them. And it was a first real strong thing that we could connect on. Mm-hmm. So we sort of kept following that. Now, in that time, there was no major internet market. So this stuff was pretty valuable at the time. So as we accumulated a bunch of it, including players we didn't really care for, we were like, what if we just tried selling it? So that's that we did. And uh, yeah, so it was sports cards in the beginning mostly. Mm-hmm. And from then on, it just went to other hobby collectibles. I mean, we did have Beanie Babies for a time and Pog. <laughs> you know, like, like some trends, those didn't last. I think every store had Beanie Babies at some time. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I, mean, so I was going to say, good joke. You asked the question, Joey. I was curious. What's the, uh, so I know, um, like when I was growing up, baseball cards are really big. What's the big sporting card right now? Um, so basketball, so all the sports right now because of COVID are ridiculous. Um, I had three pretty long shelves full of sports cards and in April and since it's been empty. Really? Wow. Yeah. Basketball right now is the biggest because there's a major rookie, uh, Zion Williamson. Okay making all the products just in terms of market value are incredible, but I can't hardly keep anything in except for, well, hockey. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, the, the major three, it's basketball, football, then baseball, but all of them pretty much sell out. It's just a matter of how long, days or a couple weeks. And why do they sell out? Like, why are you still, why is the shelves empty for basketball? Kali has no idea about any of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. So a couple things have happened. One, because people have less money to spend for, we're a recreation-based business in a sense. These things people mostly do because they're trying to do something with their spare money, their, their extra income. So now that we don't compete against movie theaters, now that you don't, can't go to a bar or just go on a date and go bowling or go, whatever, that money is starting to funnel into our business. So that was one reason for the uptick in sales and a lot of the things we carry. But the second reason is there have been some online investors who've really been pushing for investments in sports cards and investments in gaming cards. And that has been unexpected and just been a real, real huge boom as people are looking to buy some of these things and hold on to them for a sale, you know, probably next year or sometime down the road. Does that include you too? Like if you like kept your little own stash, <laughs> you know, might become valuable later on. Yeah. Well, that, that's, well, so what happened was that um, sports cards in the nineties through, I would say probably, uh, mid-teens, uh, mid-2010s was, uh, became kind of worthless for the most part. Uh, the, the industries shrunk a bit and they started creating uh, rarity or scarcity by just reducing the print runs on the cards, mm -hmm. including stuff like signed cards in a lot of the packs and pieces of memorabilia like their jerseys and their bats and everything like that. So now when the print runs are small, the population isn't as huge now they're worth something. I don't know for how long, I don't know if this is a bubble, but people are certainly spending like they're going to be worth something 20 years down the road. I, I have no claims on whether that's true or not. So I don't know if you know, Kylie, so what it pretty much people are buying packs of them and they don't know what the cards are and they're hoping to get a good one. And he was mentioning earlier that um, Zion Williams is the new big rookie for uh, the Pelicans in, in the NBA. So people are trying to get, I'm guessing, good Zion Williams cards, rookie cards. Yeah, hold on to him and sell him in twenty years when he's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, all I know is like my son is like buys the Pokemon cards. The, the, Pokemon, <laughs> Pokemon investing right now is the most I've ever seen. It's the first time I've seen more investors looking to buy the product than people who play the game. I've never seen that before. Okay. It, well, I still have all my Pokemon cards from uh, eighth grade. So, uh, <laughs> well, you know, come see us; they might be worth something. Yeah, maybe I'll bring them in. <laughs> They're in California. My mom's been trying to get rid of them every time she calls us. Can I throw this away? I say, no, not yet. So as part of your business then, like, do you buy cars off people? Yes, for sure. Um, the, the proliferation of online selling ease, especially with like Facebook marketplace, um, eBay and all these other offer up things. It is easier for consumers to sell stuff themselves for less money than it was going just through eBay. Because of that, we're getting less than we used to. However, we still get a large, uh, we get a large customer base who comes in to sell their products and we buy it for resale. They don't have to do any work. They just give it to us and we, you know, we pay cash or a little more if they take store credit. So it's, it's pretty competitive and, and people are happy not to do the work and trade in the cards. Okay. So how, how did, how have they found you? What's that? How have they found you? These, these people that come in, um, so the gaming communities themselves uh, pretty, pretty well communicate between themselves. 
Also, since we've been around for about 26 years, the, our reputation is, is pretty strong. So that's another way. Also, we do have Facebook. We have some online sales platforms where we can be found. And I think if you Google, you know, uh, gaming cards, I think we do show up in a place that you can find us. So. Yeah, I know my, um, you're right about the community is very strong. My brother-in-law recently moved here from California and that's what he does. He's big into the board games and that kind of community. And he said the first thing he did was get on Facebook and find all the local comic shops. And he's already got a huge friend group now. And they all yeah. get together on the weekend to play the games. And he's did that instantly. And I was like, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a, the, most of the communities are pretty open. So people who like, like your brother have moved from one place to another, they, it's easy for them to find a home quickly. The population of this group is is not small and it's mostly regular folks it's not like they show on tv yeah. <laughs> big bang theory or something like that like you know people who read comics don't want them to be called graphic novels they're just comics but it, it's it, again it's people like you and i just happen to have something we're interested in and it's a nice community to be part of so yeah so you talked about having like three stores it says hayes hampton yorktown yeah that's, right? that's good oh <laughs> all right so i mean a couple of, some of those locations are fairly close to each other. Yeah, they're, they're um, about 20 minutes apart. Uh, if you go from Hampton to Hayes, it's about 40 minutes. So, okay. so that was intentional to be just far enough that people, you know, feel it's, you know, it's close enough but not too far? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, we do have a bit of overlap. Um, I, it's, how, it's as close as I would like it to be. I'm not sure I, I wouldn't want to get closer, but, you know, if... If you look, for example, how many Wawa's there are right now on top of each other, if business is strong enough, I have no problem putting one in Newport News, Picosin, wherever, if that was a thing to be done. But for now, yeah, the spacing's fine. Would you ever think about like franchising? Uh, yes, down the road. It's just with brick and mortar and the state of that right now, we're a little bit insulated because playing face-to-face -face is not easily recreated online. So a lot of the products we have, uh, they're, they're not immune to it, but they're resistant to the brick and mortar problems that have faced a lot of industries. So for me, I am pushing more to have more of our stuff digitized and online, more than I'm looking to open another store. But if there's a good market and they're being underserved, it's something I would consider doing for sure. Okay, that's interesting. So Joe, did you have another question? Oh yeah, I got so much to talk about, but we could talk about. Some, <laughs> okay, see, I would just talk. We could about talk about some retail line, retail stuff. Um, we were talking. I know you were talking to your member advisor Beth Cook uh, recently about this podcast, and she uh, asked what you wanted to talk about. And one thing that you brought up was sales negotiations. Yeah, I uh, well, she. I think the way she phrased the question, uh, Beth Cook, she said, "What would you want to talk to uh, other retailers about first? Yeah. And the first thing that popped to mind that seemed really important is there, there is a distinction between customer service and sales. And a lot of people don't have that distinction, especially if they're self-starters or they get into business from the business side. But, but being a salesperson is, is, is a skill that a lot of people don't practice and they confuse it for treating the customer well or being kind. And it's a whole lot more than that. So that's, yeah, so I said I would be happy to talk. Yeah, so, so what, what are your thoughts on that a little bit? And then um, maybe sort of go into how you uh, work with your staff. I, I assume you probably try to get your staff more with this kind of ability, the sales side. Yeah, for sure. So, um, right, so customer service right now. 
I mean, customer service as a whole is, is just bad. We've just come to accept. Uh, so let me, let me tell you the, a story. Um, I think it's meant to be a joke. It's not hilarious, but um, there's a story about a person and he's going to get his car repaired. And the repairman says, well, we won't be able to repair your car for another year. And he has a menacing smile and he's excited. And the guy is like, well, a year from now to the day? So the sales manager, annoyed that he's still there, looks through his paperwork and he goes, yes, October 22nd of next year. And the man looks disconcerted and he goes, is that a, is that a, is that a, morning, a morning appointment? Uh, yes, it's in the morning. And then so, okay, what time? So really frustrated, the manager goes to his clipboard and he flips it open and he goes, 8 a.m. And the guy goes, ah, I've got the plumber coming that day. Can you schedule it for later? And the point of that story is that we've come to accept being treated so badly that we just have adjusted to it. In this story, the guy's told a year later and it doesn't really matter to him because he's already got plumbing a year later that he's got to contend with. So for us, for example, when I went to Chick-fil-A, the first time I pulled and I made my order and the first time they made a change where someone said, my pleasure, I was like, for me? <laughs> what <am> I <laughs> Oh, that's, well, that's wonderful. Yes. But, but the thing is, we've just been so used to somebody saying, you know, thank you. Have a good day. If that, that we have come to accept what my pleasure as great customer service, when really it's the customer service you just should have always been getting. So as I talk to my, my guys, I explain to them that being kind to the customer, greeting them, taking care of them, that's actually just the basics and it's not selling them anything specific. And great customer service is hard to come by because you'd either have to have a problem you're fixing or you have to go out of your way to do something. A lot of times people come in and they know what they want to buy. I call that taking a sale versus making a sale. A lot of times they come in and you just take that sale and all you have to do is be really nice, reflective, kind, and that's just good customer service. But when we see that, someone smiling, greeting us at the door, we feel like it's something special when it should be the, the minimum standard. So as we talk to folks and people start to respond to my, my staff, the people who work my store, my managers, and they're being treated kindly, my managers sometimes will get a sense that they're doing a good job because people like coming and seeing them. But the difference is, is you're not getting anything into their hands and you're not putting enough stuff to help move the business. And that's the difference. And really good sales is not just being really kind to people. And it's also not just trying to put whatever you want to in their hands. Really good sales, the number one thing, and I think a lot of places don't use this as much as they should, is empathy. Is if you can empathize with your customer, you're more likely to be able to sell them something than if you just treat them nicely. For example, if someone's buying something and they describe what they like about it, if you repeat back to them those things that they said versus saying something like, hey, that's a really good purchase, that's gonna increase your customer retention and improve your sales more than just complimenting what they do. And I'm very big on percentages. We're not talking about something that's gonna guarantee a sale or future sales. We're talking about how do you push that percentage up little by little. If you're doing it exactly right, and this is what I tell them, if you get to a point where you're really doing it right, you're listening to them. And remember, empathy is not sympathy. 
So if they're politically strong one way or the other, you don't have to believe that. You just have to listen because a customer who feels like you understand me feels better connected and stronger than you're trying to give me a bunch of stuff or make me take things home. The ideal situation, if you have this right, is you have a customer comes in and you make a sale such that you're putting something into their hands that they truly wanted, but they didn't know they wanted when they got in. Because if you put something that they didn't like when they came in and use empathy and you sort of like trick them into taking something, they will subconsciously start to feel like, I don't want to come back here. I don't know what it is, but I feel something off. But if they go home and they go, I don't know why they gave me this. And then they open it and play it or use it and feel like it is exactly what they were looking for. They'll say, that person's a psychic. I need to go back. That person knows exactly what I'm looking for. And then he or she is who I want to keep going to. And so it's, it's sort of those notions. The more you stand there and you reflect what they have to say and pay attention, if you make them the feature, they'll feel like you're really great. You're really cool, even if they don't know anything about you. And that's, that's the difference for me in terms of what businesses do and don't do. A lot of them do the extra step of greeting someone, saying goodbye, treating them real well, addressing them by name when they come in. But in terms of using that to then maximize sales in such a way that your customer is happy to have that happen, that's the trick that a lot of people don't, don't have. Where did you learn those skills yourself? Um, <laughs> so my father was always a natural salesperson. And uh, I, so for me, I, I'm, I'm from the school of theater. So I am weirdly, I'm not naturally outgoing that way. Um, I've just, worked on it. So I tried to study as much as I could to learn about sales. And there was a lot of books when I was teaching myself about getting the customer to say yes and all this. Um, I'd say about last year, I was starting to feel like I didn't want to be in the business anymore. I was starting to feel stagnant. Uh, things, the economy was just strange. And um, the pandemic hit or leading up to that, and I realized the problem I was having is that I just had stopped at my level learning. I had felt like I say got to a place where I was just good enough. I was just amazing. So what did it matter? And in deciding to go back and relearn and sort of just look at everything I hadn't, that's when I started to see the things I were, was doing and how it had a name and how it had evolved, how some people had put together sales even further than the books that were written, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So, and as we've applied it, we've seen really, really great success with some of those techniques. Have you created your own manual for selling then? For yeah, how do, you, how do you pass this knowledge on to your staff? All right, so uh, I'm working on it because it is relatively new since COVID. So before we just had basic outline of how to treat a customer and what things to do to maximize sell. And they were kind of, old fashioned and I felt like everyone knew them, like get the customers to say yes, which we, we don't do anymore. Um, ask open-ended questions, which we still use, but, but it, it's different now. So I'm in the midst of shaping it. Um, it's like, if you ask me, you know, what's my budget look like for the rest of the year in the time of COVID, like good luck with any of that, right? Like, I don't know how to forecast out like I used to, cause it's really, really strange the way the numbers have been. And so with the sales in the same way, uh, I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. Staff I have right now, I'm working one-on-one -on -one with them to show them some of these things, including people who've been here a while and are having successes. We're trying to push that forward now. 
we've always talked about the difference between sales and customer service. That's always been a distinction in our company. But these newer techniques of really trying to empathize and really trying to reflect to the customer and then sort of create a profile and then give them items mm -hmm. they may or may not have known they wanted and then see how that success rate is, that's something newer we're doing. So. And was your, so you'd probably say, or I'm just guessing that your staff is all pretty passionate about everything that you guys are doing. They're probably fans of the games and everything. So would that help with them being able to empathize and uh, put themselves into the mindset of the other, uh, their customers? Well, for the most part, but really and truly for any business, mm -hmm. it's actually easier to find people with good sales technique okay. or actual sales technique and teach them about the items you carry than to find gamers and people who are really um, just in love with the hobby. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those folks will pull a customer aside and they'll have a nice half hour conversation about all the latest sports <laughs> or all the things going on in their favorite game and why you should or shouldn't play these things. And then the customer will walk out feeling really great and having bought absolutely nothing. Yeah. The next time they can have a long conversation. <laughs> so a good salesperson can do the job of connecting with the, the, the customer still having a good conversation about what's going on with them, with what they're playing, and the customer will actually go away feeling like they're, they're special, like they're the feature. Yes, okay. That's more powerful because although we wanna be friendly with our customers, our number one goal isn't to make as many friends as possible. I hope we create a family of Jersey's customers for sure, but it's really to make sure that they go home and they're having fun and doing, you know, and being satisfied with what they got such that they'll want to come back and look for more funds. Cause we, we just sell fun. So how, how lucky is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're very fortunate. So going back to like your sales team and picking the right people, um, have you had any pushback with how you've implemented that strategy? Yes, I have. And part of the reason is because it feels a little bit unnatural. And sometimes it feels like you're manipulating someone. For example, one of the techniques we use is from, is from uh, a book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He's a hostage negotiator. And one of the things he talks about is you want to get a customer to say no. All the sales books prior to this is how you get them to say yes, how do you get them to say yes. But, um, and I'm, I'm going to pick, Poorly parallel his example, but when you get a call during dinner time and they say a question like, do you like drinking fresh, clean water? And you say yes, you don't feel all of a sudden inclined to want to buy something. In fact, you feel guarded. And the next question is, you know, do you believe that it should be available on tap? And then you'll be like, yes. And you're just waiting for the time you can hang. Led down that path to, to the sale. When you get a customer to say no, then all of a sudden, they're in control. They've, they've established the line. I'm in charge here. And no, I'm not doing that. And if you can set that up in a certain way, then it's actually a better place to start from. For example, we have POS systems where we try to capture people's names and phone numbers. And when you ask somebody, hey, would you like to be put in our system? You're going to have a certain success rate because they'll go yes. But some people are like, are you trying to put me on the grid? You know what I mean? Are you trying to track me? And we're not, but it feels a certain way. When I go to them and I say, would it be ridiculous if I signed you up for paperless receipts? And they'll go ridiculous. No, no, it's not ridiculous. Yeah, go for it. And it's, it's an advantage to them. Yeah. And it's different. Yes. And for the most part, people 
look at the question differently. Does it work every time? No. But in implementing it, the, those who have have a higher capture rate of customer information than those who don't. Part of the problem is people feel like they're tricking the customer. Mm -hmm. the, the trick really comes to what you plan to do with what you've gathered. Mm -hmm. Plan on using that information to then sell customers things they don't want and violate their privacy? No. So there's nothing wrong as long as the purpose is right and you'll end up with a higher success rate. Because if you use it for the wrong method, eventually the customer will either consciously or subconsciously know and you will lose that customer. So, because they've got to come back and see you, mm -hmm. feel tricked by you, then they're going to go, ah, there's something fishy going on. But all the customers I've talked to and use these techniques, none of them have ever looked at me. For example, if you just repeat the last couple words of someone's sentence to them when they're talking or the most important words, it, it shows that you're listening actively and you're responding. No one's ever gone to me and go, why do you keep repeating the last thing I say right there? They just continue to talk. And so in a way, I'm teaching my staff more to communicate and then add the suggestion on properly. But in teaching them that, since it's not how they normally would go about speaking, it feels unnatural. And that's where the pushback comes in. And what I do is, the way I, I define it is there's a difference between difficult and awkward. When I was playing, okay, so I'm five, six, and I was a high school quarterback, which clearly wasn't going to go anywhere. But the point I'm trying to make is that when I was throwing the football, you had a certain release point to throw the ball. And the coaches told the quarterbacks that you have to release at the highest point to get the ball to go as far as possible. Those who tried it, if you've just thrown a football yourself, you know, your arm comes out to the side. It just doesn't feel comfortable to do it like a chop straight above. But those who adopted it, it wasn't hard. It was just awkward that those who did threw further than those who didn't. And that's the analogy I use for my guys is that when you first do it, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel uncomfortable saying, does it, would it be silly if I put you in for this and having the customer say no, but once you've done it enough times, then, then it's easy. For example, if I tell you to rub your stomach and pat your head, like we've all done, that's actually not that hard. But when you first start, it is certainly awkward. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and even when you learn it, it still looks awkward. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, I mean, that, you've got a whole strategy going here. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So do you think that that's really contributes to your success? Yes. Um, we've already been successful because we have really tried to connect with folks in a real way. Mm -hmm. We operate with integrity, basic, at least basic level of good customer service. But it, for me, it became how do I push forward? Because like I said, I, I personally was stagnating. I was getting to a place where I didn't know why we were doing this anymore. Um, it felt like only 5% of most of the customers even cared that we were around. And I was, why are we trying so hard? The blessing behind COVID is that the number of people who came out to tell us that they cared and they still wanted to be here and they didn't want jerseys to go away because the numbers in March and April were so bad, I thought we were going to close in a few months. After 26 years, we would be gone. To see that, that's part of what's, you know, because it's not one thing, but that's part of what sparked me to go, I want to look back and see how we can fix and improve all of this. And, um, and yeah, so I really feel it has made a difference. To those, to those who've adopted it, I, you know, I still have new managers come in. It's still a little, little different from where they've operated, but they get to see the numbers of those who use it, and there is a distinction. 
Okay, so how, if we're three stores, how hands-on are you then? I'm pretty hands-on. Um, the way I'd like to try to work is that when someone is new, I will work side-by-side side, even with new managers, and then I just slowly back away until I'm not uh, involved anymore. So I'm not hands-on with every single part of the business. I don't think if you're in leadership, you can do that without making yourself crazy, but um, but I still find where the, the place that needs me the most, and I'm, I'm very much involved there. Yeah. I have one, we're not a big company. I have one other person who's sort of like next in line, and he helps facilitate some of this as well. Okay, so you do have a succession plan. I'm sorry, say that again? So this is like a succession plan that you yes. looking at yeah. as well. I really feel like you should always be training someone to take over mm -hmm. Um, and each job should have someone who's in line for a placement because I hate for if something were to happen to me or I go away, then Jersey's is gone. Jersey shouldn't be me. I should just be an important part of it. And then if I was gone, someone can rise up and fill that spot. Mm -hmm. okay. So we're getting close to time. If you believe that this has been flying by. <laughs> um, I did want to ask a little bit about how you guys, you said it was a little, little iffy, especially in the beginning of COVID, but how has it been since then? We had, two record-breaking months wow. in June and July and August was absolutely incredible. The reason I'm having, tr having trouble budgeting out further is because um, September and even October, I can't tell if the numbers are continually declining or they're leveling off to where they were before we started. Okay. They're all pretty strong. They're just not as, as strong as they were in uh, June and July. And when I say record-breaking, I mean, we've been doing it for 26 years, so these numbers had to be big. But on top of that, they smashed the old record by 25%. Wow. Why do you think that is? Is it uh, just more people trying to shrink their circles down and maybe staying at home and doing that kind of thing? Are you seeing it in the board games or the card side, the comics? So I, I think it was what I was saying earlier about the uh, investors not competing for other recreation. Okay. But this area in particular, there was two factors, I think, that have pushed it over the top. One is because we have so much military and, and folks that are tied into those industries, their jobs didn't go away. But those who did, if they went for unemployment, they were making 600 a week plus half their pay, which for a lot of folks is more money than they were making employed. You know, if you're making $450, $500 a week, now you're making $800 to $900 a week. So I think we were the beneficiary of a lot of that. I think that's also why you saw a decline starting in August is because that's when the money started to go away. Yeah. And for me, is, is it a bubble that's not, you know, that has started to pop but it hasn't fully deflated? Or have we passed that part and now we're stable? I, I just don't know that. Well, we yeah. just got that... Um that additional um, unemployment just went out to a lot of the people. So I'd be curious to follow up with you in a month or so and see if the, you see another uptick during, after that happened. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I hope so too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause we, we don't even know what 2021 is going to be like. Yeah. I know. And, and so, yeah, it's. Yeah. If you would have asked me six months ago, I, I would, I, I wouldn't think I'd be saying the same things I was saying six months ago. Now I would have thought we, would have gotten through, but it's, I mean, you hear everyone say interesting time, crazy time, yeah. different time. like we are in unprecedented. 
There it is. <laughs> it certainly is, yeah. And as you say, it's so difficult to, to plan and forecast. And I'm sure even just like how much to purchase um, to have inventory in stock. So you know. Yeah, well, when we, when we first had this happen, because I thought we were going out of business, I started taking all the risks I've just been hesitant about. Mm -hmm. I figured if I'm going to go down, let's go down swinging. And, uh, and they've all paid off. <laughs> it really made me like, uh, like now I'm in a really confusing time because I've just keep taking these risks now, uh, buying, buying more than I normally would buy, trying lines that I, I wouldn't try before. So I don't know when that cuts off and maybe that comes back to haunt me. But for now, you know, it's a little wild west buying these lines. My budget is a little bit blurry. I mean, it's, it is fun though. <laughs> I bet. A lot of entrepreneurs would be in the same position. Like, you know, it is calculated risk. Yes. But, you know, you've sort of got to go for it if you want to grow and you want to succeed. So yeah, it's, it's like it's, you're doing quite well. It's calculated risk now. The first time was just Hail Mary passes, it felt like. So, <laughs> um, but but we, we were fortunate that it, it ended up the right way. I mean, I, if something happens, I'm, I'm fine moving on because there'll be something else. I, even though I put a lot of time here, but I have come to appreciate my company in the last year in a way I, I, I think I lost for a bit. And I, I certainly don't want it to go away. So. Well, well, do we, and we hope that you're here for a very long time, but that's, that's our time today with the podcast. Thank you so much for being on. It was a great conversation. Kylie, do you have anything you'd like to say? No, it was lovely to meet you and I have to come out there and check out what's in the store. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the Spider-Man car either. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's, maybe for another time. And that next time. <laughs> Listen, it was, it was an honor to be here. Kylie, Joey, thank you so much for giving me a chance to be helpful. I just, that's what I really want is to be able to, to give something that's worth something to other retailers out there. Um, and so I hope that I've at least come part of the way on that. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.